Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Gray, Georgia. Led by Pastor Randy Darnell, FBC Gray seeks to help people of all walks of life find Jesus and give Jesus away. If you are ever in the middle Georgia area, we would love to see you at one of our services. You can learn more about us at fbcgray.org. Now let's join Pastor Randy as we take another look into God's Word. about it for a little while, but uh, eventually I gave in. So we are in the book of Amos. Yeah, Amos. Now here's the cool thing, because you're at home and you're in church, you don't have to pretend like you know where Amos is in the Bible. It's cool. You can flip over to the, to the table of contents, and you can look it up, and you can find out that it's sandwiched, this is going to help a lot of you, it's sandwiched right between Joel and Obadiah. That helped, right? Right between Joel and Obadiah. So that's where you're going to go this morning is to Amos. The way I got to Amos is I started reading some time ago from my daily devotions in the book of Jeremiah. And so once I finished Jeremiah, I just kept going to Lamentations and, and I think Ezekiel next and then to Daniel and, and just kept reading until I got to Amos. Guess when? Right now. And as I'm reading through Amos, I start hearing the Lord saying, you need to pay attention. You need to pay attention. So we are in Amos. We're in chapter 4 of Amos. We're going to read the whole thing. I'm reading it from the Christian Standard Bible version because that's what I use for my daily devotion. I was given this Bible free at a preacher thing I went to, and I've just been doing it ever since. So there you go. Are you ready? Here we go. Listen to this message, you cows of Bashan, who are on the hill of Samaria, women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, who say to their husbands, bring us something to drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness, look, the days are coming when you will be taken away with hooks, every last one of you with fish hooks. You will go through the breaches in the wall, each woman straight ahead, and you will be driven along toward Harmon. This is the Lord's declaration. Come to Bethel and rebel. Rebel even more at Gilgal. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tents, every three days. Offer leavened bread as a thank offering and loudly proclaim your free will offerings. For this is what you Israelites love to do. This is the Lord's declaration. I gave you absolutely nothing to eat in all of your cities, a shortage of food in all your communities, yet you did not return to me. This is the Lord's declaration. I also withheld the rain from you. While there were still three months until harvest, I sent rain on one city, but not rain on another. One field received rain, while a field with no rain withered. Two or three cities staggered to another city to drink water, but were not satisfied. Yet you did not return to me. This is the Lord's declaration. I struck you with blight and milled you. The locust devoured your many gardens and vineyards, your fig trees and olive trees. Yet you did not return to me. This is the Lord's declaration. I sent plagues like those of Egypt. I killed your young men with a sword along with your captured horses. I caused the stench of your camp to fill your nostrils. Yet you do not return to me. This is the Lord's declaration. I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And you were like a burning stick snatched from a fire. Yet you did not return to me. 
is the Lord's declaration. Therefore, Israel, this is what I will do to you. And since I will do that to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. He is here, the one who forms the mountains, creates the winds, and reveals his thoughts to man, the one who makes the dawn out of darkness and strides on the heights of the earth. The Lord, the God of armies, is his name. That's what God has to say. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Now, I know that a number of you that are watching maybe today don't believe in God at all, and that's okay. And I'm not just saying that's okay because that's what I'm supposed to say. No, that's okay. If you don't believe in God, that's, that's fine. I realize that some of the things that, that we're going to talk about this morning are just sort of on the ragged edge of crazy. And that, that this could be one of those days for me, since we're going out over the internet, that somebody pulls down what I've said and puts it into a little clip and puts it on Twitter where people make fun of preachers who say ridiculous things. I've seen them, and I've laughed myself. Maybe I'll deserve it when I get there. But I want to ask you, as a believer, I want to ask you to do two things this morning. Number one, hear me out. See if anything that I said say makes sense. And number two, at least when we get to the end of it, at least say, well, at least he's consistent. That, that what he says he believes and what he says it comes from, that comes from the scripture, that he's consistent, that it all fits together. So at least do that for me. And if you're a Christian this morning following along with this, if you're not struggling with this same idea, you're not thinking. This is something that we all need to struggle with right now. And this is hard. It's countercultural. It's not something that, that everybody in the world is going to deal with. But you've got to ask you the question. In these things that we just read, do you believe that God did these? Do you believe that God did these things? Now, Amos, Amos was just a guy. He's probably a, a fairly well-off kind of guy. He picked the right professions. Back in his day, one of the cool things to be was a sheep breeder. Not a shepherd, not a sheep raiser, but a sheep breeder because everybody needs sheep. So he was really good at breeding sheep, and he bred them, and then he sold them, and he raised sycamore figs. I haven't got a clue what a sycamore fig is, but he raised them. He lived in an area that was near a large population center. The market was right there. He knew how to make bank. He did pretty good for himself. But one day, Scripture says, the very beginning of Amos, two years before they had a major earthquake, he had some visions. He was convinced that God spoke to him, and showed him some things that the people of his time needed to hear. And the people that accumulated the Bible together believed that they were visions from God and that we would all need to hear them for a long, long time. 2,800 years ago is when this happened. And now we're hearing them again today. Do you believe that? I mean, do you believe that? Do you believe that that's how this happened? Life was good. Now listen. Listen and think, because there's parallel here. I don't, I don't have time to draw the parallel out, but I want you to hear it, and I want you to really think about his time and our time. They were at peace at that time. There were no foreign armies challenging them. They weren't trying to invade or take over anybody else. They weren't looking to get into a fight. Times were good. And when times are good, interesting things happen. The economy went from where they had been just trying to scrape out a living. The economy got to a point 
so that now they're, they're, they're making enough for themselves, they're making enough for their families, they're making enough for their friends. Now they're able to sell stuff to other people. And there were some entrepreneurs that, that started figuring out that, you know what, I could buy it. I could buy it from Logan, and then I could go and sell it to Austin. They didn't call themselves wholesalers, but that's what they were. And when they did that, they set up marketplaces where Austin lived, and all of a sudden people started accumulating in that area, and they started building cities. Does this sound anything like the development of our own country? Huh? Markets opened up. People started buying. People like me, me who can kill a plastic plant would go to these guys so that we could get food to eat. Everybody was comfortable. People started getting rich. And, the, and, and actually, it did kind of trickle down. The rich people got really, really rich. But there was a middle class of people that, that started to get pretty wealthy too. And they didn't have to work from dawn to dark anymore. And they were able to have some free time. And they had money to burn. And so the free time and money burned, they took kids to the beach. Not really, but you get the idea. Some of them snorted coke because that's the way we work. And slowly but surely, they forgot about God. They just quit thinking about him so much. And they started thinking about how smart they were. And they still went to church. We, we hear that. They still went to church every Sunday. And their conversations went with something like, you know, God is good. God is good all the time. And then as they're leaving the church, they would say things like, have you seen the new car? Did y'all hear we were going to move? Did you know where we're going to take our kids to? The conversations changed. But while all of that was going on, right outside the church door is poor people. Lots and lots of poor people that the church people just walked right by. And when you went to the courts, when you went to the courts, one person gets arrested for something, and some person gets arrested for exactly the same thing. One of them goes to jail for a long, long time. The other gets released scot-free. Have you heard of that lately happening anywhere? And while the church doesn't get hugely up in arms about that, when you read through the book of Amos, you find out that those two things is what ticked God off, among other things. He cares for the poor, and he cares for justice. Seven times in chapter 4, seven times God says, this is the Lord's declaration. This is what I did. This is what I did. What did he do? Verse 1, he insulted women. <laughs> he called them fat cows. I didn't make that up. You can get it's in here. Your own. I'm not just doing that. Something just popped up on the screen here. Um, fat cows, he called them. Uh, what did he do? He said they oppressed the poor. They forgot their place. Instead of helping and nurturing, they became demanding and entitled. God said in verses 2 and 3 that there would be a war and many would die and many would be hauled off into slavery with hooks in their noses. And he said, this is the Lord's declaration. This is what I have done. And then in verses 4 and 5, they went to church and they did their church off. And they did everything more or less the way it was supposed to be done, more or less. But see, there were some things that God said should be done this way that they thought, that's really, it's kind of old-fashioned. So we're going to do it this way. Or, or, you know, he said we ought to do it this way, but 
it probably would be more fun if we did it this way. And so they did worship, and they went to church and did all the things they were supposed to do, but they didn't do it exactly like God said. And God's taunting them here. He says, go to church, boys. Y'all have a good time. Y'all keep telling yourself how good you are. Y'all go do this. This is great. Do it your way. Love it. You have a good time. This is the Lord's declaration. Verse 6, he sent a famine. He said, I gave you nothing to eat. This is the Lord's declaration. Verse 7 and 8, God caused a drought. We're familiar with droughts, right? I mean, we're familiar with that. This year we've had a monsoon. But in previous years we've had droughts, right? This is the Lord's declaration. Verse 9, God sent blight and mildew on their crops to kill them. God sent the locusts to eat what was left. When I heard blight and mildew, all I could think of is the black mold that gets in people's houses that we're just... It, it will make us sick. So now we've got to do these things so that we're not sick anymore. This is the Lord's declaration. Verse 10, he sent plagues and wars. And many, so many people died in their wars that they couldn't bury them fast enough. So the bodies were started to decay and stink. This is the Lord's declaration. Verse 11, he says, I destroyed some of your cities. This is the Lord's declaration. Do you believe he did that? Do you believe he did that? Do you really believe that he did that? Today, us, people as smart as we are, understanding all that we understand about sociology and economics and, and every kind of science that's under the sun, do you believe that God caused these things to happen? Do you believe that God sent the coronavirus? President Trump does on his Thursday news conference, he opened up with this. Some people say God sent the coronavirus. I don't believe that. He's not the only one. I would think that I would think that all non-believers believe exactly what the president believed, and I believe that most believers believe the same thing. That God wouldn't do something like this. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe God's sovereign? Well, sovereign's a big church word, right? This is what sovereign means. It means that God controls everything. Everything, everywhere, all the time. God's in control. Nothing happens that he doesn't either cause to happen or he doesn't allow it to happen. Nothing is happenstance. Nothing is coincidence. Nothing is chance. No one experiences dumb luck. You think hard. Do you believe that? Our confession of faith says that God is sovereign because he created all that is, and then he made it work in a certain order, and that he gave rules to his creation to follow to keep it working in that certain order, and as long as they did that, everything was well. You hear Paul say in the book of Colossians, he says, for everything was created by him, in heaven and on earth, everything, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. He was here before ever, anything ever started. And by him, listen, 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 listen. By him, all things are held together. All things are held together. We say we believe that. Do you? Do you? You know, every time I read that and I hear it, I 
scientists talking about dark matter in the universe, this thing that they can't quantify or get their hands around, that just seems to hold everything in place. And that's how I envisioned this. And knowing that, understanding that, did God send the coronavirus? Did God send Hurricane Katrina? A lot of folks said that was global warming and a government that didn't take care of the levee system in New Orleans. Did God send the wildfires in California that come every year? People that know tell me that those things are self-inflicted. California is, uh, is a land of eco-warriors that have set up rules that you can't do prescribed burns. So if you don't do burns ahead of time, then wildfires happen. Has God sent the crazy number of earthquakes that we've had around the world lately? Did God send the plague of locusts that is right now moving across Africa into the Middle East that's going to arrive at Israel just in time for the Passover? Did God send the tsunami to, to Indonesia? Did he send tornadoes through Nashville? Did he send AIDS to Africa? Do you believe these things? Yeah. Yeah, I do. If God is sovereign, God is, is fully in control. Well, he's either in control of everything or he's not. It's pretty simple. So if God sent the coronavirus, why did he do that? I mean, is God stupid? Does he not know that people will die because of this? Doesn't God understand that, that we think that it's cruel to see people suffer like this? Doesn't he know that hardworking, good people are losing their jobs, that the economy is, appears to try to be falling apart, and that some people are starting to lose their retirement? Doesn't he get that? How in God's name would a God who is good do such a thing? Therefore, Israel, this is what I will do to you, since I will do that to you, Israel. Prepare to meet your God. He is here. The one who forms the mountains, creates the winds, reveals his thoughts to man. The one who made the darkness and strides on the heights of the earth. The Lord, the God of armies, is his name. Seven times God says, seven times God says in this, he says, this is the Lord's declaration. And five times he says, yet you did not return to me. You didn't return to me. I sent a famine. You didn't return to me. I sent a drought. If he sends droughts, we had droughts, right? What does he say? You did not return to me. I destroyed your crops. You did not return to me. I sent disease, coronavirus, and war, and you did not return to me. I destroyed some of your cities. You did not return to me. So prepare to meet your God. Do you believe? Do you believe that? Do you? Do you? If you're not a Christ follower, I can understand you saying no. I, I can understand you saying, I don't, I don't believe in God to start with. I don't believe God sent this. If there is a God, then a good God wouldn't do all these. I can understand that. Makes sense to me. I've struggled with some of this myself, but I'm struggling with it from a different point of view because I believe God is sovereign. And this is hard for me. As a Christ follower, I'm not struggling because I don't believe. I'm struggling because I do. 
So many people have told me over the course of my life that God loves me, wants me to have a great life. He wants me successful in my job. He wants me to have a successful marriage. He wants me to have great kids who go to good schools and become great things. He wants me to see and enjoy this wonderful world that he's given me. He wants me to have money in the bank. And then coronavirus threatens to take all that away. Every last bit of it. Why, God? I thought all I had to do was to say a prayer and to get baptized. And I'm inoculated from all of this stuff. What am I missing? Well, in chapter 5, he says twice. Seek me and live. It's not a matter of checking off boxes and doing the right things. He says, no, keep seeking me. When we started, we said our confession of faith says that God is sovereign because he created all that is and that he made it work in a certain order for that order to keep going like it was designed. He made rules for his creation and his creatures to follow. And as long as they did that, all is well. And it sounds sort of like kind of we didn't do it, so he got ticked. And he really got mad, and he, and he started to do really, really mean things. But here's that consistency, consistency thing I was telling you about to start with. If you go back to the very beginning, you find out that God was ticked. He did. He pronounced curses on a whole bunch of stuff. But then he had compassion and mercy because then he taught Adam and Eve how to live in their new normal. He took care of them, taught them how to clothe themselves, how they were going to raise food and eat. You see, I believe, I believe God sent the coronavirus and all these other disasters that are coming because he knows that where he is is life. And he wants us to be where he is. He, he, he knows that where he is, we will be happy. And he wants us there. He knows that where he is is where he wants us to be because he wants to love us there. Our earth suit is fragile, but because it makes up so much of who we are, we tend to think that this is all there is. This aging, failing frame, though, when Paul talks in 1 Thessalonians, he says, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knows, Paul knows what Amos knows. Amos says, you're, you're going to meet your God. Prepare to meet your God. Every one of us are going to meet our God. Every last one of us, believer and unbeliever alike, we will all meet God. And Paul said, I pray that you'll be sound and blameless. Do you believe? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? I believe it. I believe God is letting some things occur and I believe he's causing some things to occur that we will come to the complete end of ourselves and we will say, God, I hear you. God, I need you. We are a stubborn, willful, prideful, narcissistic, hard-headed people. We are blinded by our success. I'm not dogging out from here. He is, he's do, I think he's doing a good job but he, like the majority of our country, believed that our internet, our intellectual savvy and our technology is going to solve every problem 
that we have. And maybe, maybe it will. Maybe it will solve most every problem we want up against. But there's one problem that it cannot solve. Nobody gets out of this thing alive. Not a single one of us. There is an eternity. And you and I are going there. We are going there one day. And God loves us. And he wants to show us how to live there and here. He will use what he needs to use in order to get our attention. Isn't that what you do with your children? Where do you think we learn that from? We do what we need to do to get our kids in a place that's safe so they can grow up to be happy and healthy, which is what we want for them, so we can love them. He's getting our attention. So if you believe this, and you really think he is getting your attention, what is our response? In the 1960s, they started saying we should never feel guilt anymore. That's a lie from the pits of hell. We should feel guilt. Brothers and sisters, we strayed from the Lord. We think that we're invincible. We can solve every problem ourselves. We, we are smart. We've grown lazy and pompous and proud. There is nobody smarter than us. And by us, I mean me. And each one of us thinks exactly the same thing. But there's a virus that is eight, ten millionths of an inch long. And it can kill your bad self. The biggest, baddest gangbanger and the most snobbish, wealthy aristocrat. There ain't no difference between the two of you. None at all. The coronavirus is an equal opportunity in factor. We're doing all these things not to keep it, keep us from getting it, but to keep us getting it so that there's just enough of us sick at a time that the medical community can take care of it. Because we know we can't Stop it. But we can slow it down. I've said this a million times. I'll say it a million more times. It always amuses me that the rich, the powerful, the boastful, everybody, you don't have to be in the upper echelons of government. You could be on the lowest tier of humanity. When a thunderstorm blows up, everybody runs we're all still afraid of lightning. Get a grip, people. Get a grip. We're rebels. Like, like the scripture says, like the children who want to do everything. Y'all are sitting at home with your kids. <laughs> Some of y'all are finding out that the teachers aren't the problem, right? So you're sitting at home with the kids, and the kids are not wanting to do the things that you want them to do because it's best for them, but they don't want to do it. That's who we are to God. That's exactly who we are. Get a grip. We have enjoyed our stuff so much that our stuff has become God. And that's wrong. So once we, we have the guilt, once we understand that we've done wrong, what do we do next? Next we confess to the Lord. We tell Him the truth. And that's one of the cool things about being on Facebook at this particular moment is because, is because 
you're by yourself or maybe you're with just a very small group of people. You don't have to worry about walking down an aisle. You don't have to worry about people seeing you and wondering what's going on in your life and all those crazy things. Right here, right now, this minute, you can turn to God and you can say to him, I know I've slipped away from you. And daddies, if you're sitting there with your family, it might do a little bit of good for them to see you humble yourself before the Lord. Moms and single moms, it might do your kids good to see you humble yourself before the Lord. Kids, it wouldn't be a bad thing for you to bow your head before God right now and tell him that you know you haven't been what he would want you to be and you want to be his. Father, I know that things are going to keep happening. And they'll keep happening until you return because there are a lot of people who you've got to get their attention. And we are hard-headed. We are hard-headed. Lord, you're getting my attention. And Father, I'm sorry. I'm confess, I'm, I'm like everybody else. I've taken you for granted. I really wasn't following you. I've been selfish. I'm full of pride. I worry. And I'm sorry. And I want to come home. So Lord, I'm not going to rededicate my life to you this morning because that would be ridiculous. You and I will be having the same talk again next week and the week after and the week after. What I need, Lord, is a song that Rich Mullins sang a long time ago. What I need, Lord, is for you to hold me, Jesus, because I'm trembling like a leaf. Please, Father, don't let me forget you. You have life. And I want that life that you have. I want to follow you. I want it just like you want me to have it. I want to treat people right, Lord. I want to be just and compassionate and strong and confident. I want to be just like Jesus. And Jesus, I, I'm going to trust the promise that you gave Amos. Sort of works over to us. I know Israel took it to mean the land of promise. But I'm going to take it to mean everlasting life. Your word says, I, that's you, Lord, I will plant them on their land and they will never again be uprooted from the land that I've given them. The Lord your God has spoken. I will trust that when you hold me in your hands, I will never be uprooted from that place. We are sorry, Lord. We are sorry. Please, we want to see you. Help us to see you. And never let us go. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for another episode from FBC Gray. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single message. For more information about First Baptist Gray, visit us online at fbcgray.org. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue helping people find Jesus and give Jesus away.